0: Welcome to Feeding the Flock and our expositions through the Old Testament book of Daniel. We are currently in chapter 8 at verse 1. Hi, I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you joined me today for this Bible study. Let's begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 8 of the book of Daniel, where it says this, In the third year of the reign of Belshazzar the king, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, subsequent to the one which appeared to me previously. I looked in the vision, and while I was looking, I was in the citadel of Susa, which is in the province of Elam. And I looked in the vision, and I myself was beside the Ulai Canal. Then I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a ram which had two horns was standing in front of the canal. Now the two horns were long, but one was longer than the other, with the longer one coming up last. I saw the ram budding westward, northward, and southward, and no other beasts could stand before him, nor was there any one to rescue from his power. But he did as he pleased, and magnified himself. While I was observing, behold... A male goat was coming from the west over the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground, and the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came up to the ram that had the two horns, which I had seen standing in front of the canal, and rushed at him in his mighty wrath. I saw him come beside the ram and he was enraged at him and he struck the ram and shattered his two horns and the ram had no strength to withstand him. So he hurled him to the ground and trampled on him and there was none to rescue the ram from his power. Then the male goat magnified himself exceedingly. But as soon as he was mighty, the large horn was broken and in its place there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came forth a rather small horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the beautiful land. It grew up to the host of heaven, and caused some of the host and some of the stars to fall to the earth, and it trampled them down. It even magnified itself to be equal with the commander of the host, and it removed the regular sacrifice from him and the place of his sanctuary was thrown down. And on account of transgression, the host will be given over to the horn along with the regular sacrifice, and it will fling truth to the ground and perform its will and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to that particular one who was speaking, How long will the vision about the regular sacrifice apply while the transgression causes horror so as to allow both the holy place and the host to be trampled? He said to me, for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the holy place will be properly restored. So then we have here in the uh, first part of chapter 8 of Daniel that uh, this is the second vision that Daniel records that he himself had been given directly. And um, this follows, of course, from chapter 7, where he says that uh, in the uh, beginning of chapter 8, in the third year of the reign of Belshazzar, the king of, of vision appeared to me, Daniel, subsequent to the one which appeared to me previously. So he's referring to chapter 7. And then about three years later or so, uh, it's called the third year, Um uh, That would have uh, been calculated uh, at about uh, 551 BC, or that would also mean it was 12 years before the Feast of Belshazzar and the graffiti on the wall and the handwriting that uh, Daniel interpreted there in chapter 5. So chapters 7 and 8, as far as Daniel's experience is concerned of these visions, these visions took place before chapter 5. So uh, I hopefully that is not uh, too confusing for us but uh, it does give us a pattern Then Dan, Daniel wanted to uh, tell us the stories that uh, took place in verses uh, that is chapters uh, one through five before he began to talk about uh, the visions that uh, take place in chapters uh, 7 through the rest of the book. And uh, by the way, chapter 8 begins, uh, if uh, you're interested in these kinds of things, uh, chapter 8 begins the, uh, the Hebrew part of uh, Daniel's writing. Uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 4, all the way through chapter 7, is all in Aramaic. But uh, this begins Daniel's uh, document that he records in Hebrew once again, and uh, that is interesting that um, a lot of those chapters that deal with those Gentile empires and the uh, perhaps the understanding that might be given to those Gentile leaders or the Gentile followers of uh, uh, the God of uh, Daniel, and uh, uh, they they might understand more about their context and their history if they understood it in their own uh, birth language or their native language, and that would come closer to uh, Aramaic rather than Hebrew. But he says he says this uh, took place in the reign of Belshazzar, king, uh, uh, king of uh, Babylon at the time, and this is before anything else occurred in terms of the Medes and the Persians coming in and taking over the palace, and in terms of uh, the Greek empire, which we'll get to here in a moment. But uh, that means that uh, Belshazzar uh, was in the throne or in the palace uh, reigning as king in Babylon in the city uh, from 556 to uh, 539 BC. That was, he was uh, as a co-regent of his father, Nabonidus, and his father was away in Arabia while uh, Belshazzar was reigning as co-regent there. And so this fellow has been uh, the subject of a lot of attack by by uh, some who say that uh, this guy didn't even exist. Well, it, uh, it turns out that in 1914, there were... Uh, 37 distinct ancient texts that, that uh, refer to a crown prince that functioned as authority while his father, uh, Nabonidus, was away in Arabia. And so there were 37 different documents that actually refer to this crown prince. So it is validated that uh, this fellow did exist, and it is during his third, re- third year of reign that this other vision happened. So then that means that uh that this occurred in uh, not only Babylon but it says I looked in the vision and while I was looking I was in the city of Susa. Now, this could mean one of two different things. It could mean that that the vision included Susa, or it could mean that that Daniel went to Susa uh, in some sort of natural means, or perhaps even the the uh, that he was supernaturally transported there in some fashion, which uh, has happened sometimes to some prophets. But uh, but regardless, it it seems as though that he's in Susa where he gets this particular vision. And uh, uh, that in the King James translation is uh, Shushan. And uh, it's located about 200 miles east of the city of Babylon in what uh, today we would recognize as Western Iran. Now, this may not have been under Babylonian domination at the time that Daniel saw this vision, but it did become the capital of the Medo-Persian empire, and uh, that is where uh, he sees this particular vision. And uh, it also is the setting, this particular uh, city and the palace there is the setting for the writings of both Esther and Nehemiah. And so that gives us a little bit of context, although this Takes place uh, before uh, either Esther or Nehemiah was even there, but uh, it is the same location. And by the way, the uh, Code of Hammurabi was discovered at this location in uh, A.D. 1901. So that will give you a little bit of an idea of uh, where Daniel was at the time he saw this at the Ulai Canal. And uh, the Ulai Canal uh, separated uh, Susa. There were two parts of the city, and one was the lower city and was the, one was the upper city. The lower was uh, sort of like a suburb. The upper city was like the citadel or the... Uh, the fortress, or even the palace was located there. So Daniel was there by this uh, canal, and this is not a river, it is a man-made canal, and it says uh, that he saw this ram. And... uh, The ram had two horns standing in front of the canal, and the two horns were long, but one was longer than the other, and the longer one come up last. And um, this seems to be very parallel to the vision earlier that he had in chapter 7. And in fact, you can not only parallel these two chapters, but you can also uh, take them uh, with chapter 2 and Nebuchadnezzar's vision of this image, this statue that was uh, made of several different components and several different uh, metallic substances, and uh, those those various things represented four major Gentile empires that uh, Daniel uh, interpreted for Nebuchadnezzar. And then Daniel chapter 7 c- kind of creates an overlay over those uh, very basic descriptions of those Four Gentile empires, and then he focuses on describing those empires in more complete terms by by looking at the visions in chapter seven of those four beasts or four monsters. They are composite animals in order to express something about the the characteristics of those four empires. Well, now we find here in chapter eight uh, the two middle empires. That is, this horn is longer, uh, The one horn is longer than the other, and uh, it, it, but yet it comprises one empire. Well, that is exactly uh, the same type of thing that is represented in the bear in chapter 7. That monster bear had one shoulder higher than the other. Again, it represents the... Uh, the Medo-Persian Empire—that the Medes and the Persians combined. One was stronger militarily; the other was stronger in terms of its uh, its uh, expanse and its. Uh, it was started earlier and uh, came to uh, came to power earlier. And so, the Medes and the Persians comprised this empire. That is symbolized by the bear. It's symbolized also by the silver arms and chest uh, in Nebuchadnezzar's uh, vision in chapter 2. So these three chapters, chapter 2, chapter 7, and chapter 8, create overlays over each other in order to explain and expand some of the dimensions of these Gentile empires. And now this particular one has to do with the empire of um, the Medes and the Persians, but also the fact that uh, the Medes and the Persians were attacked by this goat. And uh, we'll get to that in a moment or two because we're we're not left in a mystery because it says, if you want to read on down in chapter eight and verse 20, it says, the ram which you saw with the two horns represents the kings of Media and Persia. So uh, we're not left to just guess about what these animals symbolize. We know who they symbolize. They symbolize the Medes and the Persians and that empire. And we also know who the shaggy goat represents represents, and uh, that is in verse 21 of chapter 8 interpreted for us. The shaggy goat represents the kingdom of Greece, and the large horn that is between his eyes is the first king. Well, we get to more of that uh, right after this break. Uh, Enjoy the music as we uh, take this little uh, break right here. Welcome back. Let's continue on in chapter 8. Uh, we're about at verse uh, 4, where uh, the ram there is pictured as uh, budding westward and northward and southward, and no other beasts could stand before him, nor was there anyone to rescue him from his power. But he did as he pleased and magnified himself. And this refers, of course, to the Medes and the Persians taking over uh, the the Babylonian Empire, which uh, we have already recorded for us in chapter five in the book of Daniel. That story is laid out, but here it's given as this uh, as this image of this uh, or that is this uh, animal uh, of this ram with two horns, and one horn is longer than the other, and that that again represents, uh, the Medes and the Persians. And so Daniel has already seen this part fulfilled in terms of them coming to power and taking over the promised land, taking over the, uh, what we would call the whole Middle East, you'd say. And then, uh, then uh, this is something new and yet it's still parallel to uh, what he has seen before in the previous monster and uh, in uh, chapter 7. So the bear was uh, had uh, one shoulder higher than the other the ram had one horn longer than the other and now this goat, this male goat was coming uh, west over the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground and the goat had a conspicuous horn between its eyes. This is a, 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 the same a kingdom or the same empire, you might say, as represented by the four-headed leopard with four wings. And the leopard represents speed. The four heads represent four uh, kingdoms uh, united into one kingdom, you might say. But uh, the leopard and the wings uh, represent the speed in which uh, that uh, that empire came to power. But here we have a, a different animal to represent in some ways uh, the Another part of that same kingdom, or at least describing different aspects of that kingdom and I believe that chapter Eight is more centered about the military conquests than it is about characterizing the entire kingdom itself and because of that he uh, uh he has uh, been given uh, these different animals to represent the actual military power and the military leadership under the kings and uh, what they were able to do so so we find this male goat, Then, in fact, it's a shaggy goat uh, described uh, uh, later. It says uh, that he, he had one conspicuous horn between its eyes. And of course, if this is the Greek empire, which uh, the... Um, the interpreter gives us the interpretation already in this passage that the shaggy goat represents the kingdom of Greece and the large horn that is between his eyes is the first king. Then we know who that first king is. It is uh, Alexander the Great, and yet he's not named in the Bible, and yet there is no mistaking uh, who this particular uh, large horn, this is a unicorn goat, and uh, this is Uh, Alexander the Great, in the leadership of his military, swiftly taking control of vast amounts of territory and defeating, at least in this case, defeating the Medes and the Persians in order to do so. So then, uh, this is the Greek empire. And this is uh, what uh, Nebuchadnezzar saw as the bronze section of the abdomen, uh, uh, the abdomen, and uh, and that is the uh, same as the four-headed leopard in chapter seven. So. Hopefully, we won't be confused if we continue to compare passage by passage and description by description, and we definitely won't be confused when, uh, when we're given already in writing the interpretation, and so it's just a matter of looking at some of these details, and that includes this large horn. And so he struck down the ram, and the large horn later, it says, uh, it hurled the ram to the ground, and no one could could uh, could withstand his power. And the male goat uh, magnified himself exceedingly. But as soon as he was mighty, the large horn was broken. And in its place, there came up four conspicuous horns uh, toward the four winds of heaven. Well, that is exactly what happened, and it's earlier represented in chapter 7 by the by the leopard that has four heads. And now this goat has four horns. And again, this is centered more upon the kingship uh, that had been divided among Alexander the Great's uh, four generals. And so we know from history that Alexander the Great uh, 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 conquered uh, the Medes and the Persians in this whole territory in the battles of Granicus in uh, 334 B.C., Issus in 333 B.C., and Gaugamela in 331 B.C. Uh, he defeated Darius uh, Cotomanus. And so... So that was uh, that was the history that we now know that was fulfilled 200 years after Daniel had seen this vision, and it's almost as if uh, someone uh, in somewhere around the uh, Declaration of Independence and its signing in our culture that someone had somehow seen a vision of the 9/11 incident and said there are going to be two large buildings destroyed. Uh, in in that incident and uh and and that would be almost unbelievable and and yet that is exactly what went on with Daniel now some have tried to say well there there must be some Daniel that existed or some author that existed around the Greek Empire and uh, put his name on it and yet uh, there is absolutely no evidence that anything like that exists uh, uh, and a separate or, uh, uh, author that existed later in his History. This was Daniel getting pre- uh pre-history. <laughs> and that's what prophecy is. It's it's like history being pre-written, but it's pre-written in such a fashion that uh there there basically is not much of a way that somebody could read this passage and say aha I'm going to try to fulfill that because it's obscure enough to uh, make it a mystery and yet it's it's specific enough to make it sure that when it does come about we can recognize it as a fulfillment and that is exactly what happened with um Alexander the Great and so but uh, be, because uh, it Alexander the Great, even though he's been described in our history books as the great uh, because of his exploits uh, and his short life in those exploits, yet the, this passage wants to focus our attention not upon that large horn. Uh, he wants to focus on this other horn that comes up after the four generals take control of the Greek Empire. And uh, notice how how this is uh, explained. It says, "Out of one of." them came forth a rather small horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, toward the beautiful land. This is a small horn that comes out of one of the divisions of the Greek empire that uh, Alexander the Great had put into place. It uh, comes along much later than, uh, than, than Uh, Alexander's death. It didn't come immediately, but it did come eventually. And that was uh, uh, after it was divided among the four kings. Uh, Lysimachus took Bulgaria, Turkey, Thrace, and Bithynia. Uh, Cassander uh, took Macedonia and Greece. Seleucus took Syria and Babylonia. And the Ptolemy uh, took uh, uh, Egypt and Palestine. So so it is uh, the Seleucus Empire and the Ptolemy Empire that we'll take a closer look at later. But right now, this vision focuses our attention on this one little horn that comes out of uh, one of these four. And uh, what happens to this small horn? Well, he expands his own uh, empire, you might say. His own dimensions in the Greek Empire uh, becomes a very... Uh, uh, very broad spread, even to the to the effect of taking over the beautiful land. That's the Holy Land. That's the Promised Land of Israel. And it says it grew up to the host of heaven and caused some of the host of and some of the stars to fall to the earth. Now he could be talking about angels, although I believe he's talking about the Jewish people. He trampled the Jewish people. He caused the Jewish people to be in defeat uh, that had been uh, returned to the uh, to the promise plan it says uh, stars to fall to the earth and trampled them down uh, at one point uh, uh, this uh this fellow uh he, he has a name his name is Antiochus the fourth Epiphanes and he uh Uh, destroyed some of the Jewish people. In fact, in in one massacre, he killed 80,000 Jewish people in one battle or one, one, it wasn't even a battle the way I understand it. It was just a massacre. And uh, It says then, uh, uh, it even magnified itself equal to the commander of the host, and it removed the regular sacrifice from him and placed his sanctuary, uh, uh, was thrown down, and on account of the transgression, the host will be given over to the horn with the regular sacrifice, and it will fling truth to the ground. And perform its will and pro- prosper. So this small horn becomes a big thing, and that means he completely desecrates the temple in Jerusalem. And uh, that temple evidently has, is going to be rebuilt, although uh, Daniel doesn't refer to that necessarily, but he implies it by the fact that that temple is going to be desecrated. The uh, the sacrifices are going to be re-implemented because at the time Daniel lived his life, the temple had been destroyed. It was. Was in, it was in disarray completely because Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed it. So there is implied in this passage that somewhere along the line, the temple is going to be rebuilt in order for this fellow, Antiochus Epiphanes from uh, Syria, is going to desecrate the temple and put an end to the regular sacrifice, at least for a while. And that's, that concerns Daniel, of course, and so he asks, how long is this going to be? He says, these two angels are talking to each other, and uh, the one says, how long? And, uh, and he said to me in verse, uh, verse 14, it says, he said to me, for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the holy place will be properly restored. And what do you know, uh, six years later... Uh, from uh, 171 BC to 165 BC, uh, the temple in Jerusalem had been uh, had been desecrated, and the sacrifices and the priesthood had been destroyed, and uh, and someone else took over the holy place, and that was this fellow Antiochus Epiphanes. And for six years, they were without the sacrifices, and then came. The Maccabees. And the Maccabean family came uh, in an uprising, a Jewish uprising, and defeated uh, uh, these people and uh, cleansed the temple once again and made the sacrifices there. And they lit the menorah inside the temple and the the oil, the limited amount of oil, supposedly lasted uh, uh, a whole week rather than just one day. And uh, that was the miracle that is still celebrated by many Jewish people today. Uh, Uh, of Hanukkah and uh, of of the lighting of the uh, the candles. And uh, that was December the 25th, 165 BC. So you see, this was restored. It was fulfilled. And Daniel wrote about it 200 years before it happened. And yet it came about in history. And now we live at a moment of history where we can go back and and examine and see that this was fulfilled this way. That Antiochus Epiphanes did exactly what Daniel prophesied he would do and yet uh, the Jewish people rose up and reestablished the sacrifices in the temple the way Daniel saw it would happen. And that is a fulfillment of God's prophecy and God's promise and God's prediction that it was given in these uh, passages here Thank you dear Father for these words of advance warning that was that were given to Daniel in this image and in this graphic display we now see that it was exactly fulfilled in the greek empire that your people restored the sacrifices in your temple in jerusalem and we give you thanks for your work in validating your word, so that we can anticipate that other things you promised will come about we give you praise in jesus name amen I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendale Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock.